Hi, this is Pastor Josh with Trademark Church. The mission of our church is to connect the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. We hope and pray that as you listen to this podcast, it will help you take your next steps in following Jesus. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness that draws us here. We thank you for your hand that's at work in this world, even though sometimes we don't see it, Lord. Um, We just pray that you would come and convict us, that your spirit would change us so that this world could see more clearly who you are and your love for this place, Lord. Uh, So draw us in near, Lord, and and just do the work that only you can, Lord. Um, The the other, the mysterious, Lord, that space that, that we can't control or fix ourselves, would you do that for us, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to do a little trivia at first here. Um, We're going to do a little trivia. So I have, um, sorry, I have this song that I'm going to sing, not sing, sorry, I'm going to read the lyrics. If you can't figure it out, I'll start singing it. I'm going to read the lyrics to this song, and um, I want you guys to... um, Shake your head once you start knowing it and, and maybe even participate with it. So um, this is the song, and it's attached to something that you'll eventually understand, and I guarantee you I have a point for what I'm trying to say. Um, so the song starts out, says, Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worlds, worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name? Uh, for those of you who already know, it's Cheers, 11-year, uh, 11-season 11 sitcom that ran between the 80s and 90s. And uh, for those of you who don't know, it was a very iconic TV show um, that ran on, on network television. Um, that's probably one of the, it's very well spoken of and it gets commonly brought up and uh, this this identity of where everybody knows your name is like the utopia of society where you can go to a place where you're welcomed and you're and you're loved and no matter how terrible of a person you are or how rude you are or how unwelcome you might feel in other places you can come here and you're welcome and you belong and Today I'm talking um, about qualifications of belonging and then how those can create us to have distinctions and differences that separate and create separation between certain groups of people. And the great thing about Cheers is that everybody's welcome there. And there's no real qualification for being present at Cheers at this local bar except for that you're there. If you have life that's going on and you have troubles or you have excitements or you have, you have good things, you have bad things, you can always come to Cheers and just simply being there, you're welcome. And, and, and I'm going to just review. We, th- these are the different people, all different backgrounds. You have Norm, he's an accountant. You have Cliff, he's a mailman. You have Frazier, he's a high-paid hoity-toity doctor. You have Coach, who's a coach. Um, <laughs> You have Diane, she's just a student, she's an employee, you know, she's, she's fresh and young and, and innocent. And then you have 
Carla, who's also an employee, but she's old and bitter and cynical, you know, and you got these different perspectives. And then you have Woody, who's this nice, kind, soft-spoken, very endearing, almost kind of stupid, but people love him for it. Um, and then you have Sam, who's kind of the center character, and he's just a total jerk, um, very arrogant, but in some way, he's charming. And at the cheers, at this bar, everybody's equal, everybody's welcome. And I think some of the popularity of this show was because people found both a common ground because they realized that as they watch this TV show, their lives, which are filled with trouble and despair, they can identify with this TV show. And then secondarily, there's this hope that we all have within our hearts to be welcomed no matter what to be brought in, to be invited in, to, to pull up a chair and, and, and be one with the others there. And as we, as we work through this world, we see that there's qualifications, there's qualifiers of, we, we, call, we, we qualify everything, everything has a qualification. Where we eat, what's the cost of the food, how comfortable were the chairs, how, you know, um, how good was the food? How nice was the waitress? You know, all these different things. Um, where we get coffee, how good was the coffee? Was it hot? Was my Americano, Americano enough? You know, um, and then we qualify what we buy. You know, if I'm trying to get a jacket, is it durable? What's the, what's the cost on it? Well, you know, is it comfortable? Does it look good? You know, there's all these different qualifications. And then we start to see that we qualify people. For a job, let's say, what's your education? What kind of experience do you have? You know, what, what would you do in this situation? But then it just goes to even how we choose spouses, how we choose friends, how we just even treat people. And here's a list. Age, marital status, parenting style, where you live. What you do for a living? What do you do for fun? What's your social status? What's your economic status? Legal status? What language do you speak? What kind of car do you drive? What's your hairstyle, facial hair, skin color, behavior, beliefs, intellect? Are you pretty? Are you handsome? Do you have physical handicaps? Do you have physical abilities that are beyond the norm? Do you have mental handicaps? What's your gender? How about your sexual preference? What sports do you cheer for? What sports teams do you cheer for? What's your religious practice? And then it even starts to turn a little bit toward home here. What position do you have within a church? How obedient are you to God's commands? And we see that, that with these differences, with these qualifications, there's a gradient level. Sometimes you're similar, sometimes you're not, sometimes you're very, very opposite. But what we start to see is that these differences turn into distinctions that turn into distinguishments. And it creates a separation between one group and the other. And it's commonly found here within the church even as well. We look at this last political season and even today, there's, there's people who are welcome and unwelcome. There's people who agree with the church and disagree with the church. And whether you disagree or agree, there's people who are in and who are out. And so we're going to turn to see Jesus and his list of qualifications. 
and his expectations upon you. And it's not you're in or out. It's not if you do this, you're in. If you do that, you're out. But it's Jesus coming to you, laying the level field. And you can be in if you have faith in God. So we're going to turn first to uh, Luke 18. So I had kind of three points that I was going to talk about today, and then probably 15 minutes before I left the coffee shop to come here, um, I realized that I kind of missed one of the key points. Um, So the three kind of things that I wanted to talk about was, one, to address non-believers who are here. Um, I want you to be made aware that there are no qualifications for the love and the grace and the mercy of God. No qualifications whatsoever. And I apologize for Christians who have formerly shown you that there is an in or an out, that there is a qualification. Um, that, that there is a, if you behave this way or you act this way or you do these things or you look this way, that you're welcome. And, and if you don't do those things, then you're not welcome. So I want to apologize first and foremost to those of you who are here, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, maybe you're a struggling Christian and you, you see people who have put a qualification upon you. If you do this, this, and this, and you're a good Christian or you can be a Christian, and if you don't do those things, then you're out. So I apologize because I, I feel that as well upon myself, and I felt myself put that upon others. Hey, maybe you shouldn't do that because you're not being a good Christian. And it's not behavior. Christianity is not built upon behavior. It's built upon the love of God and his mercy that has afforded you to follow him. So I just want to first and foremost apologize and say there's no qualifications, and I'm going to show you that in, in one point. The second one is that for new believers, or even for non-believers as well, that it's not rules-based. This is not a rules-based belief system. This is not, hey, now that you're in, do this, this, and this, and this. And, and because of those things, I'm better than you, you're, you're worse than me, and so you should try to be as good as I am, so do this so that you can be the same as me. And it's not a pride looking down upon. It's a universality uh, that we're all made level at the playing field of, of God's mercy. And so what God then re- requires of us as we, as we per- pursue Christian, the Christian faith and Christian walk is not do this, this, and this, but he, he, he asks for mercy. He asks for love. He asks for um, affection toward others and, and, and toward God himself. And then the third thing is that I want to address before people who have been believers for a long time, that you not forget that you are still a sick human being in need of the doctor, who is Jesus. You don't outgrow his mercy. You don't outgrow the need for his medicine. You don't outgrow the necessity for his love and mercy. But underneath all of this, and this is where I'm going to try to not go off the rails but incorporate it, is that there's a pride issue at the root of all these things. And as we look at that list that I, that I, that I brought earlier, those qualifications of, of value, of humanity, of worth, of, of belonging... That within those, there's this affirmation of who we are. And if I am this way or I believe these things, my pride likes to cling on to that. And so I create create distance that separates me from others because you don't believe what I believe. And what I believe is inherently right because it's me who believes it. And at the core of of all of our sin, there is a self-centeredness, a self-righteousness. There is a pride that says, I am right and you are wrong. And what we're going to study today is not right or wrong, but actually Jesus, 
who is right. So as I sit up here today, I'm not, I'm not qualifying myself by being more intellectually advanced than you or by having studied more than you have. I'm not proclaiming that I have figured it all out. What I'm proclaiming is that I haven't figured anything out, and I'm looking to Jesus who has. So that's where we're heading to is, is away from pride and into this life um, that Jesus has for us. So we're going to look at Luke 18, and we're going to see the qualifications that Jesus has. Um, verse, starting in verse, um, verse 9. Sorry for the long pauses. It's how I gather my thoughts because I'm not always organized. Still figuring out what I'm trying to say. So verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I'm going to pause here. This guy has a list of qualifiers, things that have qualified him for the love of God, for his value before the Lord. Thank you that I'm this way. Thank you that you've done this. Thank you that, that I'm so great. I fast twice a week. You know, I tithe the things that I have. I'm worthwhile. I'm worthwhile. I deserve to be here, and I'm a good person because of the things that I've done. And in this era, when we've already gone through this, we've hit it on pretty much every story. There's like this contradiction, contrast, whatever you want to call it, between Pharisees and tax collectors. And I'm going to try this joke again because it fell flat last time, but I just think it's hilarious that 2,000 years later, tax collectors are still the bane of society. I mean, today it's the IRS, and people are like, oh, geez, the IRS, am I getting audited? And it's just this space that there's still bad people, but the Pharisees are these morally upright, they're the, the elite of society. And so this elite of society comes in, and he acknowledges why he's elite. And then Jesus transfers to the tax collector. He says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's what we see is that this, this Pharisee had qualified himself for the righteousness of God in his own mind. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And Jesus says, no, you haven't done it. You haven't done enough to earn my love. You haven't done enough to, to, to gain respect and standing within this society because you couldn't do enough what you have is not enough and this this pharisee had taken these differences i'm not an adulterer um, i tithe and he created a distinction that made him better than the pharisee or sorry than the tax collector and that's what we see ourselves do as well there's things that we in our pride think make us a better person make us more lovable make us more righteous behaviors that we try to fix and change and progress in that then because of our pride and our self-identification of 
holiness based off our own of our own requirements, we then look down upon others. But what Jesus is doing is laying it all even, and he says, actually, realistically, the qualifier would be humility. It's a realization that you aren't the hero, that you don't have what it takes, that, that you need Jesus. So the qualification really is not a qualification at all because there's nothing that you could do. And so Jesus in his love makes a way and you in your humility set yourself aside in pursuit of God. And he welcomes you freely because there's nothing that you can or can't do that would qualify you for the love of God. And the pride that we experience in these moments of right and wrong will determine not just who we associate with, but how we associate with them. Not just who we associate with, but how we associate with them. And what I'm trying to say is we're talking about evangelism, right? And often our approach of evangelism is, I have something that they don't have. I'm better than them. I'm going to give them something. You look at the horrendous work that happened in Africa as us trying to civilize them by the work of we're good Christian people. We're society. We're high society. And it ruined Africa and it ruined missions. Because what we did was we tried to impose our American morals upon them as if we were better than them. And we left the grace of God and the progress of Christianity to the side for the progress of medicine and healthcare and, and being more civilized. And so what we often do is we approach non-Christians in the out, outside of this space or even within this space, and we have this, I'm in, you're out, and it changes how we view them, how we treat them. But Christ put us on a level playing field. We didn't deserve it. He loved us still. So our love, our evangelism at the heart of it, I'm not even talking about hands yet, at the heart of it should be a humility that I'm the same as you. I don't have what it takes. We're all in this together. Together, we're, we're, we're all in need of a savior. And that is the heart behind our evangelism, behind our love and our affection toward people who don't yet know the love and the grace of God, who are still out there trying to achieve it by their own means. I have three pages of notes today. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> so in this second section, um, we'll, we'll begin to see Jesus, his missional agenda. Um, and, and so we'll turn to, to Matthew chapter 9. And we actually get to dive in and to see, and to see how, how Jesus um, treats people who don't know um, who he is, who don't know the love and the grace that, that he affords. Chapter 9, starting in verse 9. And again, we see um, just tax collectors. So it says, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And then when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, 
Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And let's go to, let's just start in verse 13. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Right before righteous, you could essentially write self-righteous, self with a little hyphen in between. Because what he's saying is if, you're, if, if, you've, if you've come to a point of self-righteousness where your value is, is not built upon what God says is right or wrong, but upon what you say is right or wrong, then you're going to be off in your own space. And Jesus is saying, it's not the sick. It's not the healthy you need a doctor. It's the sick. And he is the physician who has what it takes to heal our broken souls. And he sits with these people. And he befriends them. And he eats dinner. And he has a glass of wine. And he relaxes and reclines and shares himself with them. So as I was saying before, there's these differences between different people. But what they create is those distinctions, right? And then there's a distinguishment that one is above the other. That's eventually what we get to is there's this distinguishment between me and you because I'm better than you because I have this or I have that or I have this and you don't. So there's this distinguishment of me being better, more superior, more elite, which isn't true because as we saw before, there's nothing that you could do that could, as it, from a human standpoint, that could surpass you above any other human being. But before God, who's perfect and holy and righteous and does everything well, He could have just left us aside. There is a distinguishment. There is a distinction. There is a hierarchy between God and us as humans. And we see the only person who has the legitimacy, the justification to make a distinction, to create a separation between him and us, break that separation with Jesus' love and his death on the cross, and he allows us to be justified by Jesus' death, the perfect being, being make, making righteous for the imperfect. And he doesn't even create the separation, but he steps into those spaces. So if anybody has a right to declare truth in this moment, it's Jesus. And what he says is this, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so again, for you non-Christians out there, this is to say you are accepted. You are actually longed for. Jesus is coming, seeking after you. And for us who are Christians here today, where is your pride getting in the way of obeying and following after what Jesus is calling you to do? Because if Jesus did it, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, why aren't we doing it? Why is it that within our modern American church, the moralistic, the elite, the, the very pent up, buttoned up, perfect looking folk are more welcome than those who are sinners, tax collectors, have a mohawk, wear their funky jeans, drive a beat up old car? 
What qualifications have we put upon our acceptance here that Jesus didn't? And that's where I'm going for this, this third space. What qualifications? What's our missional agenda? How does it align with what, with what God's saying? Do we view ourselves as now healthy? We've now made it. We no longer need the doctor. I've, I've, I'm now healthy enough that I can be better than you, different than you. Because at any moment, if that grace of God, that, that life-altering chemotherapy, you could say, quits, we are no longer sustainable for our own health. We are continuously dependent upon the grace and the mercy and the love of God for our attainment of salvation. And what I see within myself, the pride that I find flaring up within my heart is this, that God loves me, that he has saved me, and what creeps in is this separation between myself and others that I'm better than them because I'm saved. I'm better than them because God loves me. I'm better than them because I believe this thing. And I have to repent of that. And I have to turn away from that because it's keeping me, one, from walking in the love of God flowing through me into those that he's called us to love. And then two, I see it separating myself from others because it's an elitism hierarchy that I'm looking down upon them. So what is our faith marked by? Is it marked by a certain look, a certain behavior? Who is our church filled with? Prideful, self-interested folk? Is it filled with, with, with people who look a certain way, who behave a certain way? Or is it filled with those who are kind of on the fringes, their behavior is questionable? their belief systems on rough waters? Are they welcome here? Or most importantly, are we present there? And however you wanna excuse it, let it, let it slide to the side. There's pride present in all of our hearts that's keeping us from relating to and loving those who Jesus loves. He's already loves, he already loves them. His love is already, is already reaching out and he's asking you to be that hand, to be that mouth, to be that smile, to be that body present in that space. Seems, at least when I was growing up, 
you'd go to the Bible camp and they would ask you, is your Bible more worn out on the inside or the outside? And they'd have all these different lists of things that made you a good Christian or not. What I'm asking today is whether or not your life is filled with loving those who are sick and unhealthy, who need to know the good physician of Jesus, who need to be healed by his power and his spirit, by his grace, by his forgiveness. And do you even have a person in your life who you could say, yeah, that's, that's them. And if you do, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm trying to let us walk in the glory of God and, and in the fulfillment of who, he's, he's, he, who he was and what he's doing and, and to live by his spirit flowing through us so that we can be made whole, so that we can be made righteous. Because if we stop his love flowing through us, then his nourishing work that's bringing us to hol- holiness is going to dead end. And we're going to plan out. And our sanctification is built upon us, not just believing these things, but actually going out into this world and living out what we believe. So we're turning toward communion. And if I've spoken too harshly, forgive me. I didn't mean to condemn you. I meant to bring you to a point of conviction so that we can put aside the sins of our lives and walk in the holiness of God. And like I said before, there's no qualification. There's no qualification to get into this faith, to get into this salvation. It's God's love being administered toward you. And there's no qualification for continuation. And you can be found wrong because you're going to always be found wrong because your righteousness is not upon you being right, but upon Christ being right. And that is readily available today for you to turn from what you haven't been doing and walk into the love, the mercy, the grace of God. If there's a sin, if there's pride, if there's, if there's something that's hindering you from engaging in the love of God being poured out into this world, I ask you to seek your heart and move inside and ask the spirit inside to come inside of you and to drive that out so that you may be changed into his image and that you may live as he's called us to live. So we're going to turn. Don't actually, don't even turn there. Just listen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, It says this, um, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we come to communion to celebrate remembering Jesus. To remember that 
he was betrayed not just by Judas, but by me. And he had every reason to disqualify me for his love. And he didn't. And so we celebrate that. Bringing alongside the reality that we have barriers and distinctions built up between us and others. And we repent and turn away from those. As we remember that Jesus did not allow those distinctions to separate him from us. So the band's going to come up, and I just ask you again, as I said earlier, to, to search your hearts to seek the Spirit of God and ask him not just to change your mind, not just to change your heart, but to actually change your actions so that you can live as he has called us to live in love and affection toward each other and toward others who need to know the love and the affection and the healing power of Jesus. We want to thank you for listening to the podcast of Trademark Church. For more information, visit our website, trademarkchurch.com. God bless.